0: Check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Karamonti. This podcast is for physicians who take care of patients with serious illnesses, like cancer, dementia, advanced renal cardiac or neurologic disease, We are all about patient and family well-being, but also medical team and physician well-being. You'll learn things to help you heal your patients and yourself, and I am really glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome. I'm Dr. Karamanti, and today we have an incredibly special guest. We have Dr. Martina Ziegenbein, who is a rheumatologist and expert in fibromyalgia. Welcome, Dr. Ziegenbein. Thank you, Julia, for having me. I I feel really honored to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So, would you mind starting out by just telling us a little bit about you, your expertise, your experience, and how you got so interested to become an expert in fibromyalgia?
1: Thank you for the question. So, I'm a general rheumatologist. I um, have been a rheumatologist for almost 16 years. And as you know, or as many of your listeners probably know, rheumatology deals with autoimmune and non-autoimmune degenerative issues, basically both inflammatory and non-inflammatory pain. That's one of our jobs as a rheumatologist. When a person comes with pain is one of the first jobs is to determine is the pain inflammatory and non-inflammatory. I refer to myself as a bread and butter rheumatologist, meaning I see the most common things, most Frequent inflammatory diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, which I happen to have. I don't want to overshare, but that it played a role in my evolution of uh, in the last five years. I uh, have always enjoyed uh, rheumatology, but fibromyalgia has been this one kind of basket, hard to feel like it, it is closed. Like with rheumatoid arthritis, for example, one of the most famous examples of an inflammatory autoimmune process. You identify, you diagnose patients, you examine them, you identify proper treatment, and most of the time, you eventually find something that works, and the goal is to get into remission. And we don't have such a milepost for fibromyalgia because patients with fibromyalgia want to be pain-free, and we can't always get there. It's been both rewarding and frustrating journey for me, and I always have felt called to focus on fibromyalgia but I have been resisting it because it's been quote hard (laughs) and finally when I embraced it well hard doesn't mean impossible and I realized it's okay if it's not a popular topic or popular diagnosis to treat with uh, other rheumatologists I feel called to do it and women seem to respond well to me so started embracing my inclination and my gravitation towards fibromyalgia
0: that's so interesting. What do you think it is that pulled you towards fibromyalgia? So it's so funny, and I don't—I don't mean to talk too much about myself.
1: But I, when I was doing neurology like rotation during my residency, I remember one very moment. The, the neurologist I was working with, there was a free moment, and I was standing in a doorway for some reason. We got to talk about how I get lightheaded when I stand for too long, and how I almost fainted once during a surgical rotation. And out of out of nowhere, it came he said, Oh, do you also have fibromyalgia too? And I never really put two things together. Or at the time I was, I think a second year resident at the time he saw a quote, a phenotype, like I'm perfectionistic. I'm high achiever. I put pressure on myself. I'm maybe on a a little anxious side. (laughs) And (laughs) I also do have chronic pain that I always have attributed to. I'm also hypermobile uh, I have hypomobility, and there is a kind of dilemma whether hypermobility is neuroplastic pain or whether it's mechanical slash pain but in any case i base nociceptive no, no or neuroplastic sorry nociplastic or noci, uhceptive and i yeah it could be both right and as the years progress I develop actually fibromyalgia type back pain in my back. why would I fight it I have it I am trying to deal with it myself patients yeah. seem to respond really well to me so why fight it when i can? When, can, when I can embrace it and go along
0: with it and, and help many women on the way. I think that when we as physicians experience something, we do a much better job of helping other people with it. Because we have compassion and like get it, an right? extra
1: layer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is not to say that it's not sometimes frustrating because I mean, you as a, integrated of care physician you probably have encountered many patients who would otherwise could be labeled difficult and really the difficulty is that we don't know how to listen to them or we don't have quote have time and all of that i'm learning to handle all of that and it's just so much easier when i embrace the whole concept so basically it took me a while to get to the point i realized actually some of my pain is could be considered fibromyalgia type pain or myofascial. and. Uh, then the second, so that's one aspect. The second aspect I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in five and a half years ago. And I had to now be smart how to distinguish the RA pain, which was objectively uh, objective really documented swelling in my joints from then when I was flying, was I really flaring or was it my fibromyalgia type pain? So that gave me insider knowledge on how to advise my patients. And then I guess the last concept was just, I just felt called to do it because I have always gravitated to alleviate suffering. These women suffer. And no matter whether they have fibromyalgia as a primary diagnosis or whether they have additional problems, like whether they have osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, most often the patients don't just have fibromyalgia. There is a small subset of patients who only have fibro, but most often it's a mixed pain state. So they, they suffer. And one of our main goals as physicians is to alleviate suffering. So yeah, I guess I would say that was these were the things that contributed.
0: I love that. And one of the things that you just said that I think is so important that I feel like a lot of physicians miss is this idea of it's not all in one bucket, right? Like a woman comes with pain and someone may just say, oh, she has, it's all fibromyalgia or it's all, you have rheumatoid arthritis, it's all that. But sometimes it's not all that. It's a little bit of A and a little bit of B. And the the skill to figure out what is causing a flare right now, because the treatments might might be different, right, is really important. Yeah, exactly. You hit the
1: nail on its head. And I want to alert your listeners, if they haven't listened to your, I think it's the second episode, about the eight mistakes not to make when evaluating for pain, it's, it's marvelous. And you talk about all of them there. So almost, I feel like referring them there, like they will so much understanding about, uh, you know, it's, it's overlaps. with so we're talking about fibromyalgia basically, and you all did a wonderful job in that episode talking about pain. So.
0: Thanks. I appreciate that. And certainly today we'll talk a little bit about your approach too to the patients you see, yes. but before we even get there, tell us a little bit about how it impacts people who have fibromyalgia.
1: That's a very good question. And, um, most of my patients, uh, with fibromyalgia and statistically speaking, also they are women, they're mostly middle-aged, they can be younger and almost universally, it's a thief of joy, which we also know about We talk about that, uh, in terms of comparison, but women are miserable. They, one of the first sentences that comes out of their mouth is just make me better like they are tired of pain they are tired of because it affects so many aspects it's not just that you have a painful hand or painful arms and you can do something there the pain is hard to get rid of and they don't sleep well they have brain fog they cannot focus on things they cannot complete tasks they have a couple of good days and then, then they do more and then they are crashing for the next few days and it's like a vicious cycle and they have a hard time coping with it. And they it affects their lives. It affects interactions with their families, with their friends, with their loved ones. And many times they feel that they're unable to work. That's what creates friction with their employers. You know, it's kind of like a snowball phenomenon. It's a desperation. They are desperate for help. And when you're desperate for help, you look for anything. Basically, it's like the one who drowns that looks for any kind of help it's
0: it's a lot of desperation and a lot of frustration i'm so glad you exist because oh. <laughs> because in you know in the medical field there there can be a lot of frustration taking care of people with fibromyalgia because of exactly what you're saying because it's so complicated because it's multifactorial because people are desperate because doctors don't have a lot of time in the office and they just can't handle all of that suffering and feeling all at once. And so often they just say like, go manage your stress or, you know, go take Tylenol or go talk to your primary care doctor or something and things that aren't helpful. And, and, you know, you touched upon one aspect of it that I think is kind of
1: most tragic. And that is that we as physicians often come across as not taking the time. And it's, it's a complicated problem, obviously, and healthcare pushes physicians to see as many patients in the shortest possible time the quote productivity and I don't want to make this episode about that but the reason I'm mentioning that is because so many times I cannot tell you like it's probably more than 90 percent they start responding or when they comment on their impression from the first and second visit is that I took the time I took the time to listen to make them feel heard make them feel listened to make them feel seen like um, and there's obviously other times that um, other people don't believe their pain So all of these aspects, which have nothing to do with, you know, medications yet, you're just giving them your time and attention and that makes difference. And we have to stop and notice that and pay attention because that's what makes difference in our patients. We should do what makes difference, right? So
0: it really makes a difference because it's it's real. It's not just, oh, it's nice that you take time. It actually helps people get better when we attend to them with our healing attention and energy and and connection, it actually helps people get better, as you know, and I have to tell you that, I mean, and these
1: repeats um, after like over and over again, and, and it's most prominent in patients who have fibromyalgia as a primary diagnosis. But basically, I had one patient, so I saw her once and then second time, she was a young, she's a young girl, 25 years old. And oh, she gosh. has both fibromyalgia and fatigue. And I gave her some resources we'll talk about. We'll, I mean, I evaluated her, I examined her, listened to her, did some extra blood work just to complete the evaluation. And then I summarized everything for her. And she told me that her, feed, her feedback was that just having me evaluate her, go over the terminology, put things together, it, even within that one week, I mean, between the two appointments, she started feeling better and I did nothing, you know, or I would yeah. say nothing special. You did a lot. I did right. a lot, but nothing, I have not prescribed a single medication yet. Right. right and she was right. feeling 30 to 40% better. I haven't, like, that was already three months ago. She got COVID, she got worse. And I already have a feedback. I was checking on her, you know, it was just common sense stuff. And she's again, recovering and feeling better because she knows that there is somebody who cares and who is willing to take her in and listen and makes difference because we are human.
0: So so tell me about your approach when you have somebody who comes to you and, and fibromyalgia is a major component of their pain or fatigue or suffering. What do you do?
1: Thank you for that. And just before I go there, I, I was just gonna, again, re- refer patients to one of your other episodes when you talk about the central sensitization. Fibromyalgia is an example of central sensitization or neuroplastic pain. It was not that long ago that functional brain MRIs confirmed the presence of fibromyalgia when they were able to detect highlighted or areas of higher activity in the brain cortex that correspond to the areas of the body that hurt. And that actually was yeah. the basis for creating this third group of pain. Uh, and we, when I say third group, number one being nociceptive. So the one based mechanical or inflammatory pain, number two is neuropathic when nerve endings. And then the third is neuroplastic right or Ociplastic when there is the pain is real as seen by functional MRIs, but there is no injury, no damage. And the reason I mention that is because physicians should know that functional MRIs, in, it was fairly recent within the last two or three years that the International Consortium for Pain recognized the neuroplastic pain as a separate area of pain. So my approach, so I kind of start from the basics. I never assume when patient is referred to me as a new patient for fibromyalgia, I never assume that's what they have. And I know that's your approach too, because you talk about it in your second episode about pain. You always take the time. So you'll take the history, you examine them. I sometimes do extra blood tests or imaging studies and hallmarks of fibromyalgia when they only have primary fibromyalgia is that there is no inflammatory findings on exam there is no damage, no, like basically no organic or pathologic cause on the in the periphery. So I first make sure I explain the nomenclature. Well, I, I make sure I explain to them that this is what neuroplasticity is. Basically, the first step is to explain what neuroplasticity is and to reassure them the pain is real, but the pain is not coming from your. Body, whatever uh, body part is hurting, and I do apologize, I should have mentioned fibromyalgia is defined as pain above and below the waist on both sides of the body. It's fairly diffuse, fairly chronic, fairly non inconsistent in terms of what makes it better and worse, and can fluctuate with stress. So, I first explained the neuroplasticity concept, then, and this is where we're going a little bit into like what is this conventional medicine and what i feel should be the model and yeah please. dr claw is kind of a leading researcher in the field of rheumatology and pain medicine he is at the university of michigan he was on my podcast i invite people to listen to him but the bottom line of that the reason i mentioned him is that uh he it's now recognized that medications are not the answer For fibromyalgia, and that is usually the concept that many patients come to me with. That they come, I diagnose them, and I prescribe medications. And that paradigm is changing so much. We are turning it upside down on its head. And people in your field have been already doing that for a long, long time. So I'm not implying that I'm reinventing the wheel. I'm just saying that um, people in rheumatology are now accepting of the model that we don't just give medications, and we actually have been. Oh, I mean, when I was still a fellow, which was a long time ago, we mostly talked about medications, but we didn't touch upon these non-conventional treatments at all. And that is a big part of discussion. So I, I, do, so I do explain neuroplasticity. Number two, I do mention medications if they're interested in. And I also do mention that they're only working about 30% of the time. So you might ask, so what is the, the rest? And basically the rest is everything else. And yes. we we refer to it as alternative or Eastern medicine techniques, but it's basically mm-hmm. anything and everything that has a healing potential that um, soothes the sympathetic nervous system that turns on the healing response. So okay. you talk I know that you're talking about your episodes about meditation. And so I talk about that. Um I use one particular technique that I discovered when I was taking the Pain courses over the past years specializing in this pain reprocessing therapy, and that's called somatic tracking, which is basically bringing attention to your pain in the current moment on purpose without judgment while exploring it. Basically, so to give you a specific example, I've had a patient in my practice who came with a headache in her temple area. She was in her 60s, so the provider was concerned that she had temporal arthritis. And I was initially too, but then I started talking to her about, so I took a really good history. And already from the history it was clear that it's probably not inflammatory source or not GCA, because it had a very big component to stress, which we know it can still be inflammatory. But there were other features that just suggested it was more than temporal tenderness. It was more like uh, that could be some muscle tension involved and possibly stress. So I did the somatic tracking in the office. So we I had her slow down the breathing and as you know that's when we do that the blood pressure drops the pulse drops and that's when the sympathetic nervous system starts calming down and i ask her every possible question about a pain normally when they do it eventually patients do it on their own when they do it in the office they have to tell me so that you know if i'm demonstrated for them so how did it pain how did the pain feel Uh, Was it pulsating? Was it tugging? Was it basically she gave me all the characteristics? And after she did that, I said, And why don't we send the following message to the brain? And the words can they don't have a specific prescription, but it's basically I'm safe, I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'm in control, and I'm safe. And within we did it for probably four to seven minutes, and the pain went away. So it was, and it doesn't always happen like that. I do want to warn or caution your uh, listeners that it is not expected pain go away, but there is some shift usually that happens. And even if it doesn't happen, it's still okay. As long as they were able to bring on the sensation of calmness and safety, basically mindfulness in the moment, bringing attention to the pain and purpose, exploring it with the sense of safety so that's somatic tracking so that's one of the main tools mindfulness based that i use then i focus very much on fear self-compassion and it's basically how to be again loving towards ourselves the common denominator with all of, most of these mindfulness based techniques is how to be loving how to love on ourselves and then the third thing i talked about but i don't always pursue is Emotional Expression Awareness Therapy, there are actually some studies, they were done by Dr. Lomeli and Schubiner. Emotional Awareness Expression Therapy, E-A-E-T, and uh, some of this is unpublished yet because the, re- the studies are still ongoing, and they had, in the published studies, when they did it without somatic tracking, there was between 30 to 50% improvement in pain. What he's telling, I spoke to Dr. Schubiner a few months ago, and he said they're having marvelous response uh, this is not published yet not published data so I can't really speak for him but basically that's when they deal with whatever suppressed or repressed emotions may have been present and i always reveal to patients that I don't want to make an impression that I'm a therapist I always make a very i always make it very clear and I endorse patients to have their own therapist but I encourage them to find a person who is skilled at this type of therapy so these are mindfulness based and that takes quite a bit of time. To talk about these. And I know that based on some of the reactions, and especially men, they, and I don't want to be stereotyping because I have a couple of men who are completely accepting of this model and they are very, working very hard and having success with these techniques. But there are some men who basically just say, no, this is, that's not, it's not a strong enough explanation for my pain. Like my pain is real and they just don't allow for nervous system to be causing the pain and so that's that's one of the things i always work on in my practice how to better explain that our nervous system is capable of amazing things including causing and improving pain one
0: of the things i would say to that is that they don't accept it that minute but you never know you know the same is true in palliative care sometimes we'll bring up something and a family or a patient is completely rejecting but we've planted a seed and we might have a conversation again in a week and it's different or in a month and it's different. And so you never know. Yeah, and thank you for mentioning that. And I'm sure every physician
1: has a story. I had, I remember, I will never forget about patient who was on a high doses of, uh, well, not necessarily high, like he was an oxycontin, 10 milligrams three times a day. And he didn't have any inflammatory features on exam. And I suggested, why don't you just consider uh, water therapy? Like I didn't, I wasn't skilled enough at the time to talk about emotional expression therapy. And I really didn't think it was a big part But I said, why don't you just allow for a little bit of something different? And he initially said, no, no, no. And then I think his wife convinced him to go. And he came three months later. He was on third of a dose of narcotics. He said it was marvelous, but, What I was going to say, and I didn't quite, this was already three years ago, I was still in Wisconsin. What I didn't fully understand at that time was that his mindset played a role. He opened up his mind to the possibility that another modality can help. And, you know, it's not just the water, water is good for us, but he allowed himself to participate in the water therapy. There were, you know, music, it was basically healing for his body and his muscles. And within six months, uh, he was off. So he was on narcotics for about, I think, 10 or seven years. And within six months after the first visit, so it was it took nine months total, he was off. Stories like that give me encouragement on a regular basis because you continue to have these stories on a regular basis. And then you can share them with other patients. So it's not, you know, one-off uh, example. But you have, so for this patient, he had an open mind about other modalities helping. And there was not a single medication I prescribed. We were, we were taking them off, you know? So,
0: yeah. yeah. So I like that idea though, that you brought up about having having an open mind to other ideas, because one thing you can tell for people that, that I sometimes tell people is, see if you can approach it with a spirit of curiosity. I get it that you don't believe it right now about central sensitization or neuroplastic pain, but maybe just, is there a possibility that it could be true? Maybe you might look it up like go Google it, read some articles, just perhaps just have the the curiosity about if this is real or not real. You are so
1: wise, Delia. I cannot tell you because this is exactly <laughs> it. Like curiosity is the correct, no, I don't want to use the word correct, but is the sensation, is the attitude to approach our nervous system with when our brain is curious as opposed to negative. It always, yeah. le- so curiosity leads to exploration, which can lead to, surprising improvement so yeah so thank you for mentioning the mindset of curiosity because i talked about that i didn't i didn't i will now mention it in this way you know instead of openness and being curious so thank you for doing that so neuroplasticity was the first uh or play, explaining the concept of neuroplasticity number two mindfulness-based techniques the third and fourth i always talk about belief with my clients and that may sound weird to some providers like why would i why would i talk as a physician and that's one of the things i want to start people realizing is that when people come to providers physicians they usually expect kind of cut and dry approach and talking about medications but really they they really want more and you know as a physician there is more and the power of belief, there is so much science, so much neuro, neurobiological research done that shows that when we believe, it changes everything. So I have yeah. some things prepared to cite for them. Like I explain how studies have done when, when people have an idea of something, it can change their neurobiology, it can change their physical presentation. So we talk about that. Um, and then the fourth item is, which you also talk about in one of your episodes, letting go letting go of the expectations of the outcome. And that is to allow for, instead of being like a hawk and waiting for improvement to happen, basically sitting back, like doing the best, giving it your best shot or putting a boat in, but then having lightness about all the things, that just doing all the things that I just mentioned. So this is fairly, in summary, it's fairly simple. It's not complicated, but consistency on a daily basis Eventually leads to improvement. It's a, it's a, not a fast
0: result, but it's consistency and the small changes that leads to improvement. It really works. This approach really works with chronic pain of all kinds. I think correct. I I, I read a book by uh, by Herbert Herbert
1: Benson. I honestly okay. did not realize. It. I think it was healing healing response when he where he talked about how meditation can improve even cancer pain. And I honestly didn't realize that it can be so powerful that basically he taught one woman with severe cancer pain, how to use prayer slash meditation. And her pain was down from like nine or 10. She, She wasn't able to enjoy life at all. This was, this was a palliative care, like end of life
0: care, but her pain went down to zero. It was, I mean, mind blown. Yeah. I've seen that too. And, and I think a lot of it is based on some of what you said before, which is that when the sympathetic nervous system is activated and we're hypervigilant and hyper concerned and only focusing on the pain, our brain gets worried and turns up the sensitivity of pain. And when we can find a state where our nervous system and our brain feel safer, then it doesn't have to be vigilant and, and it can allow in other experiences besides pain and our perception of pain goes down
1: simple, correct. And it's not easy to do, but practice. And yeah, so I have seen a lot of success uh, with my patients. I'm um, an employed position uh, with paper and healthcare. And I I look forward to, you know, like what
0: else, what else can happen with this. You mentioned a couple of things that I want to make sure that, that we all know about, you teach us about one is self-compassion practice. How do you talk to patients about self-compassion? Like if one of the physicians listening wants to do that what kind of words do you use how do you explain it
1: when I first experienced Christine Neff Dr. Neff is the guru on self-compassion she had a zoom yep. call with all of us and I tell them how it happened for me I was like yeah I know what self-compassion is I'm, I'm self-compassionate and then she <laughs> right and you, you can you can probably guess how well it went for me basically she she went, uh, She guided us for an exercise when we were supposed to bring something stressful to our forefront, not not 10 out of 10 stressful, but she said, try to think about five to seven out of 10 and bring on all the feelings that this situation, this circumstance elicits for you, like how you feel and why you feel that way. And now imagine that your best friend is telling you this is her situation, The somebody you really love and care about. What would you tell her? And this was my first time. So I was completely unsuspecting. I didn't know what was coming. So I was, <laughs> you know, imagining what I would tell her, you're doing your best. You know, this is a freaking difficult situation. I was like, basically, you know, it was my circumstance I was going through. I said, this is hard. This hurts. Matters of the heart hurt. You're doing the best you can. And, you know, this is suffering. And then she said, and imagine that you're telling it to yourself. and." I started sobbing. Like this is, and I'm getting emotional right now. Basically, this is what self compassion is: is giving ourselves the love, the support that we would give to our best friend, and we do it because we love ourselves. And I, and it was an experience of many other women on the call. They were like, I think. 60 or 70 of us and all of them are typing like I'm sobbing like I'm crying <laughs> and but it's sad right it's also scary why women physicians are and it's not just women physicians it is from what from the literature i read it's, it's women in general we are so hard on ourselves so we we have such high standards about what needs to be done how it needs to be done what needs to be accomplished and when you realize where is the love and when you realize you are doing the best you can, you are basically. I'm using so many words to describe. I, I explain basically what what self compassion means. Um, that it's the so it's mindfulness based on mindfulness. Common kind of cause. There are many there are people other people who deal with similar situation, and love self love like loving on ourselves, and yeah. it really changes everything. And I it taught me how to be. And that's what I tell patients. So somatic tracking is one example of mindfulness when we bring attention to just specifically the pain, but when I tell them, this is what taught me how to do, how to find stillness, like any time during the day when there is a stressful event, just slow down, close your eyes. So obviously don't do it about driving, but find a face find <laughs> space, but do this, like what is going on? Why are you feeling what you're feeling? What do you need? Ask yourself what you need. Give yourself love. and everything and and, and breathe and breathe and the shoulders come down. And, you know, many people think it's not silly to talk about it because self-love until we feel it, until we give it to ourselves, we really don't know
0: how it feels and how to be kind to ourselves. And you'll notice when you start thinking about self-compassion, right? How you, how you used to talk to yourself or how many of the people listening might talk to themselves now, like, Oh, you're so stupid! Why did you do that? Oh my God, what's wrong with you? Everyone's gonna laugh at you. We say such mean, terrible to things ourselves, to ourselves, right? That we would never, ever say to somebody else that we can. Which, which, which actually brings me to another.
1: That was a good segue to mention that I talk to patients about affirmations, and I know that affirmations by themselves don't mean much. But I talk about how, like, I used to say, "Well, I, I have a fat belly, or I'm fat, I cannot fit in these pants," and. The brain listens. The brain listens to everything we say. It's subconscious. Yeah. And basically, I'm talking to them about how to change language slowly. But basically, how to replace the words, I'm stupid or I'm a loser. Well, that didn't go super well. But I'm somebody who can figure it out. Or I'm someone who stays calm. I'm calm. I'm powerful. I have the power. And initially, it's hard to believe. But then you will. your brain will find evidence that supports this like it will find evidence of when you did something that it yes you can figure things out you can ask your friends or loved ones it's really powerful actually that kind of a feedback um and i have to admit i don't do that with all patients sometimes they're not ready to hear about neuroplasticity but i talk to women about how when you ask your friends they can give you feedback that you don't allow yourself to think about yourself because you just don't think you're good enough like When I asked my friends and family for feedback, they told me, yeah, you figure shit out. I'm sorry about the word. Uh, But basically, (laughs) they know me as somebody who is resourceful enough to figure things out. And I realized how much hard time I give myself to uh, get there, to believe that I truly can. And how much lighter my life would be if I just had faith. And that's what I'm asking my patients to have. Have faith that you can change your immune system, uh, your... Nervous system that you can rewire your nervous system, and I'm learning with them. I share my stories with them. I share my pitfalls or my falls, and you know I don't have it all figured out, but I'm I'm on the way. Like with my my pain is has been so much better since I've been practicing stillness and somatic tracking. It's yes, it's so great that when I have a bad day, I'm like, okay, let's slow down and let's just sit back and let's figure out what is going on. And I usually am able to figure out, and it's usually stress surrounding my my life like love relationship or my son it's usually something i could always get back to it yeah. then i slow down and i said in the moment i'm safe i'm okay it's going to be okay it never fails it
0: really never does that is so powerful because you live it right like that's why i think you make such an amazing partner for other people who have fibromyalgia or chronic pain and are going through this because you literally get it for yourself, right? You're not just talking out of your frontal lobe, you're talking from your heart because you live it. Thank you. And I do think it's true. And um, this is not
1: to say that rheumatologists who don't have pain, you know, cannot do it, but it just, it adds like a little extra layer. And I think that's why women respond to me so well because I can relate to them and they know, and I tell them usually and they feel it and it kind of creates that bond that that i have been fighting so much before and now i embrace it so it's yeah it's um,
0: lighter it's easier that's always a good sign right yes when something is lighter and easier it's a good sign yes help people know how to find you it strikes me that there's a couple ways that that people could use this experience of meeting you so one is physicians can learn from what you just taught us another is they could Send patients to you as a rheumatologist. And then the third is I think you have a coaching practice around fibromyalgia, yes. Is that right? Yes. And my website is uh, thank you for asking. My website is uh,
1: www.winningatfibromyalgia.com. It's just winning at fibromyalgia. I also have a podcast of the name, uh, Winning at Fibromyalgia, and I'm on Apple. And the, there is also a direct link, a link from my um, website, Winning at Fibromyalgia. And If they are interested or if they have patients who are interested, I do have a Facebook group of the same name waiting at fibromyalgia. Right now, it's a closed group. They they have to ask, but we ask very simple questions and I post some videos there or interesting topics. Uh, One, what I was going to also say that I very strongly believe in, you know, additional education and, you know, I I don't pretend I know it all. One of the main resources I used, um, and I recommend to many of my patients is a book called way out by Alan Gordon. You might've heard about it. It's in my opinion, one of the best books written on chronic pain in layman terms that also summarizes all the research. It's phenomenal. It came out last year, way out by Alan Gordon.
0: And, um, yeah, and if they have questions, they can contact me. I can share other resources with them. Terrific. And I'll put all that contact info that you just gave us into the show notes. Before we finish up, is there any last thing that you think we should know or that it's important for people to think about? Thank you for asking. I think what I, what I when, whenever
1: I see a patient, and I think your listeners, if they're mostly physicians, that we should always share with the patients is that they should never lose hope. There is always hope. And our nervous systems, our brains are capable of almost infinite number of feeds. Basically, our nervous system regeneration capability is so tremendous. And a lot of it is subconscious, but we can help it. And hope maintaining hope is one of the main things. And so I always want to deliver that message whenever I talk to anyone that there is always hope you can get better if you have fibromyalgia and any type of chronic pain can get better. It takes time, but you can get better. So not losing hope is like a really big deal to me.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Your passion and expertise in this topic is really touching and remarkable. And thank Thank you you so much for having me, Julia. I really appreciate it. It was an honor. Terrific. So I always like to give people one piece of homework to think about between now and next week when you come back to listen to the next episode. And from what you said, I think probably the thing I most would like people to practice is self-compassion. And so we always do better at explaining it to patients when we've tried it ourselves. So this week, try to notice how you speak to yourself. If you have a difficult situation, try to notice the words that are in your head and stop yourself if they're not positive imagine you're speaking to someone that you really care about, and then turn those words back towards yourself.
1: Does that work? Excellent. you you summarized <laughs> it extremely well. I spoke so many words. Excellent.
0: <laughs> Terrific. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Please, if you found this helpful, send it to a colleague, um, go on Apple Podcasts and write a review, and please come back next week. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you find value in this podcast, please do two things for me. Number one, share with a colleague. This is how we spread the word, and I really need your help. And number two, please do leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It would really mean the world to me. You can find me at integrativepalliative.com and also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Come find me. Reach out, send me an email, and come check out on the website our upcoming physician training programs. It's been great to have you here, and I'll see you next Thursday.